2: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Many diseases have telltale signs and symptoms. Diagnosis comes quickly and treatment follows. But endometriosis is a little different. It's a chronic inflammatory uterine disease characterized by severe life impacting pain and is said to affect at least one in 10 globally. But diagnosis can be delayed up to a decade. And experts and advocates say affected treatments are too hard to access. Connecticut State Representative Jillian Gilchrist is trying to change how endometriosis is diagnosed and treated where we live through a new legislative working group. This hour, we hear from her, plus a filmmaker focused on bridging gaps in understanding around the disease. If you or a loved one have experience with endometriosis, you can join the conversation. Give us a call at 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. But first, we have Arlie Cole with us. She's a self-proclaimed endo-warrior who is a member of the Endometriosis Working Group and her Instagram handle is Misunderstood. Thank you so much, Arlie, for being with us this morning.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
2: So, Arlie, you help educate the public on endometriosis through your Instagram page, Misunderstood, which I just want to say is a brilliant name. What inspired you to take this on in the first place?
3: Um, My journey has been really long. And once I finally had a proper diagnosis um, after 24 years, I knew that I needed to, like, use my voice to share my story um, and that I wasn't the only one. I met a whole community of people um, that also had a very long journey or didn't even have a diagnosis. And so I I knew that I needed to share my story to help other people feel that they weren't alone and, and let the rest of the, the world sort of know that it's not OK that we aren't getting the proper health care that we deserve.
2: And because the journey has been long, as you say, it, it took many years for you to get properly diagnosed. And it's called a diagnostic delay. delay and it can be very damaging to both physical and mental health. Um, why do you think many doctors fail to notice it? You know, what has been your experience with that?
3: Um, a lack of education, quite honestly. Um, that is that is the biggest um, problem in my opinion is that there just weren't specialists and doctors that even really knew the word let alone understood the disease and that's sort of what we're still um fighting and advocating for is for for more education and research and awareness so that all doctors and all specialties are aware of the disease because it's systemic and it affects essentially the entire body for some people and um, it, it needs to just be something that every physician needs to know about to um, prevent a delay in diagnosis.
2: And. As you continue to work on the advocacy, and and there's just so much here, right, as we grapple with this, with this disease, what are some misconceptions about the condition that you've encountered? And when that does happen, do you have a way to help address those misconceptions?
3: So the huge misconception is that this is a reproductive disease, that this only, um, you know, it affects people that have a uterus that it that it's caused um you know by menstruation um you know there's so many questions in terms of like where it comes from why that we still don't have answers to but there's sort of all of this like i guess i you could call it fake news swirling around about where the disease originated from or what causes it but it's a systemic disease that that literally has been found everywhere in the body, and it's not a reproductive disease, but it does affect your reproductive organs, and it can affect your fertility. So that's a huge misconception that I feel like we're constantly trying to like debunk. Um, and I I feel that if we had more information and more research, that we could prevent a lot of people from from suffering.
2: And I want to bring in a State Representative Jillian Gilchrist, who is also the co-chair of the Reproductive Rights Caucus. Thank you so much, Representative Gilchrist, for being with us this morning.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: And, you know, with what Arlie just said, I want to ask you the same question, too, in terms of what motivated you to take an interest in endometriosis and and because of that to form this working group to help address this issue.
0: Great. Thank you. And thank you so much for covering this topic. So unfortunately, similarly to Arlie's experience, I had a colleague and friend reach out to share with me about her experience with endometriosis. And I'll be honest, I'd never heard about it before. Um, But as she started explaining what she had gone through, I certainly knew um, individuals throughout my life who I think probably were experiencing endometriosis. Um, And so I went back and did some research and was just shocked to find how many individuals are impacted by endometriosis and how little we know about the disease um, and how much work there is to be done. And so that's why I started the working group here in the state.
2: And just a reminder that you can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to take a moment to take a call from Tanea from Hartford, who joins us on air right now. Tanea, are you there?
3: Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, go for it.
3: Okay, hi. Yeah, I just want to thank um, Rep Gilchrist for her work um, in endometriosis care. It's, I live with it, it's a very painful disease. I was diagnosed when I was about 18 or 19 and luckily in the emergency room, the doctor knew what I was going through. Um, and I believe it's hereditary because I watched my mother go through the same symptoms. Um, and luckily, you know, they, they say like pregnancy and, and child, childbirth uh, cures it or get an, ele- le- I don't know, even know the word for it, but I'm at this point now where my pain has gotten so bad that they want me to get surgery. And I'm at odds, well, you know, I have to work you know, I don't have proper health healthcare care coverage and, you know, I'm going to have to be in recovery. So I really appreciate that folks are educated. I'm feeling more comfortable in my journey. But, yeah, it's a very debilitating disease and I'm glad that the work is being done.
2: Well, thank you so much, Tanea, for sharing your story with us and happy to hear that you're more comfortable with your own journey as we talk about this. And I want to ask Representative Gilchrist, what's your response to what Tanea just shared with us? I imagine this echoes with a lot of the stories that you've been hearing.
0: It does. And I want to thank her for calling in and for her, her kind words. Um, And I'm, I'm so glad we're that there is this community and we're creating more of a community and more knowledge about the disease. Um, You know, when she says she believes it's hereditary, we all believe it's hereditary, but shockingly, the research hasn't confirmed that yet. So again, it's this disease that we all, the the individuals who experience this know, um, but we need the research to catch up uh, with, with, kind of common sense. Um, And then I'd say to her, we're we're working hard to ensure that um, a surgery that she might need is affordable and accessible, because those are some of the barriers we're seeing people face as well.
2: And Arlie, I want to ask you too, with Tanea just speaking about the difficulties in insurance coverage as well, is this something that you've experienced?
3: Um, Absolutely. You're not alone at all. Um, That is one of the major issues like Representative Gilchrist just said um, is access to care Um, and it it, in my opinion it doesn't really exist yet Um, a lot of times insurance um, will not cover an excision surgery Um, we don't have the proper billing codes yet Um, it's not a disease that's recognized properly um, by multiple organizations Um, So you're not alone in that in that case. Um, I have had my own issues with fighting and battling against insurance companies. And unfortunately, most of the very skilled specialists are all out of network. And so if you don't have out of network insurance, you're looking at an average between 20 and $30,000 for a surgery out of pocket.
2: And Representative Gilchrist, you know, I think I think a, insurance is a battle in general, anyway. And on top of that, dealing with a condition that you're not familiar with is it, is addressing these gaps in coverage a priority. And is there anything you can add to what Arlie said about the types of surgeries and treatments that's possible for those who are you know suffering from endometriosis?
0: Yes. Um, so the the next direction our working group is taking is we're going to use. Um, The momentum that we've been able to gain here in the state on Connecticut policy to to push on the federal government, because, as Arlie mentioned right now, um, it's very in the weeds, but there is a coding issue. And so when someone presents and needs excision surgery, it's coded the same way as what's called ablation ablation is very different than an excision surgery. Um, And the time that uh, a a doctor would need to do the excision surgery is many more hours than ablation. And so there are many providers who can't financially afford to take insurance and only be covered for the ablation surgery. And so we are going to um, try to push to change that uh, because it is... Again, so many barriers to even get the diagnosis. And then once you get this diagnosis to be told that you financially can't afford the excision surgery, that's just incomprehensible at this point in time.
2: And I think, unfortunately, that's something that we hear a lot, right, with not just endometriosis, but many other conditions that people suffer through. And, and you mentioning just now that you're, you know this is something that's happening at the state level, uh, there's progress going on in the federal level. Can you give us a sense or, or give us some insight into the progress made by the endometriosis uh, working group here in Connecticut over the past year?
0: Sure. Um, so the working group was has meets every month and folks are, are welcome to join us via Zoom. Um, we listen and learn. And so what we've been able to do is pass legislation to require um, that physicians get continuing education on endometriosis. It's a start to the issue that Arlie raised about the lack of knowledge and education in the field. Um, And then this past session, we were able to pass legislation uh, to have the University of Connecticut Health Center partner with Jackson Laboratory uh, to do research on endometriosis uh, to better understand um, diagnostic tools and potentially treatment. Um, Because shockingly, uh, still the only way to get the official diagnosis is through an invasive surgery. Um, And treatments vary. Uh, We are hopefully moving away from the days where women were told they needed a hysterectomy. um, But we still, like we've been talking about, um, don't have a whole plethora um, of treatment options.
2: And because... Clearly, we're addressing various gaps in understanding when it comes to endometriosis. You know, we're talking insurance. We're talking in the medical setting. setting. Uh, Can you uh, speak to your efforts there? And how would you rank the priorities of addressing these various gaps?
0: Um, we talk about that quite often at the working group because it can get um, overwhelming at times because there's so many different areas uh, that need addressing. Um, but I think the the education and the awareness. And so in addition to this continuing education piece that we passed, uh, we've been looking at trying to get education into the schools uh, so that young people first getting their periods, um, first experiencing potential pain, um, might be able to have someone um, identify that they might be experiencing endometriosis. Additionally, we're looking at trying to get endometriosis education into curriculum in medical schools. And that'll be a part of um, what's being called the endometriosis repository. That's that work between UConn Health and Jackson Laboratory. And then um, the other piece, as I see that the main priority is really this push on the federal government, because um, we are seeing that for those who, again, have been identified and are seeking treatment um, financially, it is a significant barrier to be able to get that um, excision surgery that they need.
2: And Arlie, you're also a part of this working group. I know we're kind of scraping the surface here, but what are your hopes for the group? You know, what do you what do you hope that it can accomplish?
3: Um, I, am super proud to be a part of the working group and super grateful for, um, Representative Gilcrest for starting this group. And I feel like it, we've, we've done like a really good amount of work right, you know, right now to sort of like lift this up. And I, I'm really hopeful, um, that we're going to be able to create here in Connecticut, sort of like an endo- center endo hub where we um people will come to get more information and and treatment and awareness and education and we'll be able to change the the outlook on endometriosis at least here in connecticut and then be able to you know start to push that out um to everywhere to everywhere else but i i just agree with representative gilchrist like we need to get this Education into um, our schools and it it needs to start young, um, you know, maybe even before the age of menstruation, because some people start to experience pain and symptoms prior to even menstruating.
2: And we heard from a listener in Hartford earlier who has experienced um, a delayed diagnosis. And we also heard from one social worker, Haley Terrell from Bridgeport. Uh, She spoke about her delayed diagnosis, which came to light during her fertility journey. And we asked her what she wished she could tell her younger self. Let's take a listen
1: one that i wasn't alone that there were other people going through it i went through so many years thinking there was something terribly wrong with my mental health and there was because i was so thrown off by feeling these ways um but that there are answers out there that unexplained infertility is not an answer that you know when we're told in health class or by our doctors or our family members that getting your getting cramps and having to miss school or work and using heating pads and taking medicine was normal. Um, it's not actually, I wish someone had said like the way you're feeling, we don't want you to feel that way. You're not supposed to feel that way. I look back sometimes like we all do at my younger self and I feel so sad that with the things that I missed out on and the hardships I had, I mean, and oh, I would be out socially and I would get stomach pain and have to leave. And, you know, I was always seemed described as dramatic and, Whatever it was that I was too much, um, and it was because i I felt that way. i didn't I didn't know what was going on with me, and I got to the point where I'm like, I guess I am just a you know, all in my head, and there's nothing wrong. Um, so it was very reassuring when I found out at forty that I did have a condition that answered a lot of why I went through what I went through.
2: Arlie, this is certainly something that we hear from, from a lot of people. What's your response here? How do you relate to Haley's experience?
3: I relate to her experience so much, like just it, not just hers, but thousands and thousands of other people who also were told that, you know, they were being dramatic or, um, th- be, being called crazy, I lost count of how many people um, and medical professionals told me that I was crazy, that I was just depressed, that I needed to um, do Pilates or I was too I was too thin and that's why I was experiencing um, pain. the amount of gaslighting and and people being dismissed when they're in pain it does make you start to question yourself and, um, your mental health absolutely does suffer because of it. Um, and there's a big connection between endometriosis and anxiety and depression when you're constantly on edge, not knowing, you know, if you go to a festival, is there going to be a bathroom that you can get to? And you sort of feel like you're letting your friends and family down because you're in pain one day during something important. There's a lot of grief that a lot of people with endometriosis um, carry, and and I personally have a lot of PTSD from from different treatments and tests and procedures that were <clears throat> sorry that were done that that didn't need to be done. Um, and then on top of that, like you're you're paying for them. Um, and then you're like, what am I? What am I doing? So I absolutely can relate to, to everything that she has said.
2: Well, and you just mentioned too, and and Haley as well. You know, he, you hear the emotion with what she's saying, and and all the all of the things that she's gone through, and things that people have said to her, and what you just shared as well. It's not just a physical thing it's a mental health thing and overall well-being as well and you know from your experience Arlie, are are there some self-care practices that you find helpful and and what advice would you would you have for people who who are going through that
3: yeah absolutely and it's taken me many years to sort of recognize what i need to do for myself and realize that if people you know, aren't friends and family aren't going to understand this disease. Um, only those that have it and that really suffer and struggle really get it. And instead of trying to explain yourself and almost like prove yourself to people, um, you have to just kind of be comfortable with the fact that this is your journey. You don't need everyone to believe you. You don't need everyone to listen Um, You find those few, those few people or those support groups that do get it and you stay true to yourself when your body is, is in pain and it's telling you, you need to slow down and you need to rest like that's okay. And you don't need to feel bad for that and focus on the things that you can do versus the things that you can't do. Um, I practice gratitude every day. That has been um, huge in terms of my mindset, just focusing on, on the, the little things in life um, and, and taking time for yourself to heal and not feeling bad about that, like not feeling guilty that you need to take a step back and take care of yourself.
2: And with that too, Arlie, do you have any advice for people who suspect that they may have endo but have not been diagnosed yet?
3: Absolutely. So there are um, there are people out there on social media. It's strange to think that we turn to social media for for answers and for medical or health advice, but the amount of people that I have met through social media who are, you know, questioning themselves, questioning their doctors, um, you know, being given misinformation, there's, there is the right information out there. And, and you kind of have to search and you have to find it, but don't stop asking questions. Don't stop advocating for yourself. If something doesn't sit right with you, um, find another doctor that's going to listen, um, and and just continue to find strength because you are absolutely not alone and there are advocates and there are good surgeons and you know reach out to the Connecticut working group like f- follow me on misunderstood um i'll direct you to the really good excision specialists um, to, you know, endo what places that are putting out, like real information and creating real connections and support for people that that need it.
2: And for our listeners, you can find more information on the endometriosis group working group on our website at ctpublic.org slash where we live. And Representative Gilchrist would we'll love some final thoughts here. You know, with what Arlie just shared. On top of that, do you have any information or resources for our listeners, for those who might who might need those resources?
0: Yeah, I would echo what you know what Arlie said. I think, uh, unfortunately, the point at which we're at, um, your your best bet is connecting with these resources on social media as uh, Connecticut um, builds up our endometriosis bio I do want to quickly just touch on you know what Haley said. Um, and mentioned that while certainly men can experience endometriosis, you know, this disease disproportionately impacts women. And so for women to be told that it's in their head for their entire life, um, it just makes me angry. Um, And so I'm so proud and um, happy that we're having this conversation and that there are advocates uh, because we really need to create this community to give women the support that they need.
2: Well, please most definitely keep us posted. Uh, You've been listening to State Representative Jillian Gilchrist. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And Arlie Cole, thank you so much for joining us this morning and helping us educate about endo. Thank you very much for that.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all of this.
2: And coming up, we'll hear from a filmmaker and her most recent documentary, Shedding Light on Endometriosis. Have you or a loved one been diagnosed with endo? You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
0: So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery.
2: For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. One filmmaker has directed two documentaries about endometriosis. Her latest film, Below the Belt, follows four people grappling with their diagnosis and treatments. Joining us now is Shannon Cohn. She's the filmmaker behind Below the Belt and Endo What, both documentaries about endometriosis. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us on Where We Live this morning. Shannon, are you there? Shannon might not be there. I believe you might be muted, Shannon, just taking a quick moment to let you know that.
4: Hi, can you hear me? (laughs) She is
2: here. You know, you wouldn't be a filmmaker if you're not going to make a dramatic entrance.
4: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Hi, Catherine. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Just a few minutes late. Yeah. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Absolutely.
2: The red carpet is all yours. So I want to just jump straight to it. <laughs> Below the belt is your second film about endometriosis. So I want to talk about, you know, what inspired you to focus uh, in particular on this issue and to help spread awareness?
4: Of course, you know, I think like so many of us, things that we're truly passionate about in life comes from a personal you know place, a personal story. And um, the story behind these two films is no different. I have endometriosis. I, I first had symptoms at 16, yet I didn't hear the word until 13 years later. And that, of course, that's where it all started. But the true impetus behind the film is I have two young daughters. And we know enough research, like Representative Gilchrist so eloquently stated. We definitely need more, and I'm sure we'll get into that in a few minutes. But we do know that there is a seven times increased genetic risk between mothers and daughters, and among sisters. So honestly, the thought that my two daughters, so you know, so young, so innocent, um, looking at them and thinking that they might have the same journey ahead of them that I had walked you know, to get a diagnosis and to find effective treatment was really honestly terrifying. And it galvanized me to say, listen, if there were ever a condition, ever a disease that needed films to um, create widespread awareness and galvanize, you know, change in a real and substantive way is this little known, you know, strange sounding disease called endometriosis.
2: And, you know, you just shared your experience with your two young daughters. Clearly, this is a very personal story for you. Has that experience shaped the way you approach in making these documentaries?
4: Of course. You know, um, every time I think about them and what they're going through or what they could go through, um, they're 12 and 15 now, um, I make sure that, you know, all I give a thousand percent, you know, into everything that we do with the films, around the films, the the social impact campaigns that we're building around the films. That includes things like medical education, education of patients, uh, policy work on the federal and state level. You know, we we just look at it in a different way when we know firsthand the impact of this disease. It just just changes us.
2: And we spent quite some time earlier, too, talking about how there's a lot of, or, you know, there's progress in terms of um, getting more information out there in the state level and the federal level. Um, Hillary Clinton was an executive producer on this film, and one portion of the film, it also followed the late Republican senator Orrin Hatch, while he also looked into this issue and its urgency. You know, how would you describe the political conversation around endometriosis? of
4: course absolutely and you know going back to the pri- you know to the personal connection um, senator hatch who has been who was an incredible advocate for endometriosis it came from a very personal place for him you know as well and i think most people when they think about senator Ornash, they don't immediately think about oh women's health champion you know endometriosis champion but he he was. And it came from a very personal place. His granddaughter um, has endometriosis and has suffered since she was 13 years old. So he saw firsthand you know, the devastating impact of this disease. It really robbed her of a lot of her teenage years when she was bedridden, really, and missing out on her high school experience. So when we came to him and said, you know, there's this endometriosis, and he's like, oh, I know all about it. You know, like, what do you want me to do? What do you need me to do? I know how devastating it is. And he brought um, Senator Elizabeth Warren on board. And we have been working with them um, in a bipartisan way since 2017. Of course, when Senator Hatch retired, Senator Mitt Romney took his place um, in our work and making sure that the work, you know, remains carefully bipartisan. Uh, Because, you know, I I think endometriosis, especially in today's political climate, it is an opportunity for both sides of the aisle to come around a women's health issue. You know, Um, as Representative Gilchrist said, it disproportionately affects women, although it can affect, you know, one in 10 um, men or, no, sorry, one in 10 gender expansive individuals. So uh, in, in addition to one in 10 girls and women. So just want to make sure we recognize that. But disproportionately affects women. And this is an opportunity where both sides of the aisle can rally around and say, hey, we care about this and we need change.
2: And Below the Belt sheds light on the challenges faced by people with endo, including long delays in diagnosis and treatment, which we have heard from listeners. You know, how do you envision the film being able to sort of contribute to reducing these delays and maybe improving the overall quality of healthcare for endometriosis patients?
4: Of course. Well, there are a number of ways. And I always tell people, think about these films, both Endo what and Below the Belt, as a tool as a tool for change that are part of a larger toolbox and you know we all have a role to play in changing the course of this disease and we can all be tools you know in this toolbox to move toward change and i look at these films as part of that um with below the belt for example you know it, it's a tool to help create widespread awareness it premiered on pbs nationally last month it continues to air on pbs passport for the next year It will be on streaming services. It will be hopefully in every country in the world. And it invites a conversation about women's health and endometriosis among a population that has maybe never heard of the disease. And, you know, endometriosis is a strange, you know, word that a lot of people are kind of like, when I, when I mention what it is, they, a lot of people don't know what it is, you know, and they say, endo what, which is of course the inspiration of the first film, because I heard it so often when I told people, you know, my next project is about this disease called endometriosis. And, you know, the widespread awareness just hasn't been there. But if we can, through a film, share compelling human stories and make people care about this condition in a way that they never expected, then the hope is then they can hear, care about the larger issues at play and be part of the change, even though it may not directly affect them. And I will say briefly, listen, everyone who's listening to this right now, you may think you're not affected by endometriosis, but you absolutely are. If you may have it and may, you know, know or may not know that you have it, but I can guarantee that, you know, and love someone who has it. So even though you may think you're not affected, you, you are
2: shannon cone will be staying with us after the break we'll hear about her aim to educate every primary care physician school nurse and pediatrician in the country about endometriosis and you can also join the conversation 888-720-9677 that's 888 720 wmpr or find us on facebook and twitter at where we live This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Katherine Shen. This hour, we're discussing endometriosis and how it affects people where we live. Advocates say delays in diagnosis are a major issue, and one new documentary shows how.
1: The first time that I was told it could be endometriosis, I'd never even heard of it.
3: And this was six years into me being a nurse and really... What I like to regard as really highly specialized and nationally acclaimed medical centers and it, to me to just for the first time be hearing about a disease that's so common, not in school, not through work. i This was the first time I had ever heard of it. And that's kind of crazy. It's crazy to
1: me
2: was that was registered nurse Jenna Reese in the film Below the Belt and back with us to discuss is the director Shannon Cohn, and you can also join the conversation 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live uh, Shannon I feel like that was a little deja vu there listening to Jenna's experiences which is not uncommon and can you tell us a little bit more about Endo What which is your first documentary about this disease and also Can you talk to us, too, your goals to provide educational toolkits to every school nurse, pediatrician, and physician in the U.S.?
4: Of course. So Endo-What is an educational documentary about endometriosis, and the goal with that film was to or is to provide an accurate base of knowledge about the disease for patients and for providers, especially frontline providers. So it's basically everything I wish I had known at 16, you know, at the very beginning of my journey. And if I had known the things, you know, shared and know what, I would have saved myself not only 13 years of, you know, chasing specialists and medications and tests, but thousands of dollars and unnecessary tests and medications and doctor's visits. So that was the goal or that is the goal with that film. And it was always meant to be, you know, a specific, um, I'm so sorry, I'm outside and there's a plane going overhead. We can, we can all travel together. It's okay. We all Um, get distracted. So basically it was, it was meant to be to a very niche audience. And I was honestly quite surprised by the reception because it just exploded. So many people were talking about endometriosis and all, all of the things that we needed to know about the disease. And really, it by extension, we started utilizing the film in a larger educational initiative to um, educate school nurses, for example. We have a school nurse initiative where we've educated almost 10,000 school nurses across the United States because in having conversations on a wide scale, we quite quickly realized that... School nurses are often the first to know when a teenager has endometriosis symptoms because, I mean, myself, you know, I went to see my school nurse, you know, when I was doubled over with pain. And while she was well-meaning and can help on a a number of issues, she had no idea about endometriosis. You know, I took ibuprofen, I lied down for a bit, and then I went back to class or went back to my sports practice. So if we can get all school nurses thinking about endometriosis when when people come in with symptoms, then that can be revolutionary. And the extension of that, which is something that we're launching over the next year, is educating other frontline providers, pediatricians, uh, primary care providers, nurse practitioners, um, emergency room providers, so that when people go in with symptoms of endometriosis, not only are they first believed which is, you know, a key component. Um, second of all, the the symptoms of endometriosis itself are recognized, and then beyond that, the person can be um, referred to a specialist
2: and we we've been focusing a lot of the pain that endo can have but it's also depending on the person right we also got a call from Tony asking for more information about endometriosis and how it shows up so how would you define endometriosis are there sort of general symptoms that people should look out for or, or do experience you know how would you explain that
4: of course so endometriosis um, is basically where tissue similar to the lining of the uterus grows in other parts of the body. Uh, a lot of people think it's just the pelvis, and, you know, there a huge majority of cases are, you know, in the pelvis, but it's actually been found in every organ of the body. It's been found in the spleen and the liver and the eye and the heart. I mean, in the, in the lungs and the, and the eye, um, and the diaphragm. I mean, basically every organ. So symptoms can depend on where, not only where it's found, but also you know symptoms can range in anything from debilitating periods to gi symptoms which is by the way what i first uh, presented with and then beyond that fatigue urinary symptoms pain with sex Um, there are a whole host of symptoms that are systemic in nature that i think a lot of people don't realize but the hallmark symptom that most people recognize are debilitating periods Um, and you know I I will say that, you know, as women, usually we do have, you know, some discomfort with periods, how, you know, the difference is if your periods are so debilitating that um, you can't do your normal activities during the day, you can't go to school, you can't go to work, you can't do things that you really want to do, like go on that date or go hang out with friends because of the pain, then that is not normal. And you should seek, seek care.
2: And you mentioned earlier that you want to bring in more education for school nurses and pediatricians. And we heard from uh, State Representative Jillian Gilchrist earlier, who also talked about that present medical professionals are not compensated for training. So, have you considered offering training or workshops to healthcare professionals and educators to sort of make sure that they do fully utilize the resources and to have the ability to address uh, endometriosis related topics?
4: Right. You know, it's it's so it's such a complicated issue about how we can properly educate physicians and other healthcare providers. It's not just one thing um i think you know of course educating within medical schools is a great place to start and nursing schools and we have started something where we've we've we have a medical school screening tour in progress right now we screened at five medical schools in the spring of 2023 and we'll screen at five more this fall and we'll continue that over the next few semesters and um I also, I co-taught a class in bioethics at Harvard Medical School to first-year medical students earlier this year, and that was really interesting because we showed them below the belt, and then we talked about the ethical issues at play that, of course, are around endometriosis. You know, endometriosis is a modern medical manifestation of everything that's wrong in women's health care um, in this country, everything from menstrual taboos to gender bias in medicine, racial bias in medicine. Barriers to care, which is what we've talked about on this on this um, hour so far, we're talking about informational barriers to care. So not knowing what's wrong with you and then the provider not knowing what's wrong with you. Institutional barriers to care, which you're alluding to with the coding, for example, and making sure that not only surgeons are properly reimbursed and can stay in network, but then financial barriers to care for patients so that patients can actually access the care that they deserve. And that they need and are not relegated to subpar treatment, which is unfortunately what's going on right now with so many patients with endometriosis and other, you know, related healthcare conditions. So, you know, Yes, medical, medical school screenings is one thing, changing curriculum is another thing, something that Representative Gilchrist mentioned and is working on, which is such a key component as well, and then CME, which is something we're also working on with our frontline provider toolkits that we'll be um, releasing soon. So all of those components working together are incredibly important. But also beyond that, working in, at the federal level, which is something that we've been doing, we're working on you know hand on hand with with the NIH, with Congress and both sides, uh, but like I said, both sides of the aisle, both the House and the Senate, and then also the White House Gender Policy Council to create change in a meaningful way. Um, all of these entities deeply care about women's health, deeply care about endometriosis, and now we're in a position that we can actually, with building momentum and widespread awareness and public support, can actually move, move toward meaningful answers.
2: Well, and with all of the components that you just mentioned, clearly it's such a complicated issue and there are so many moving parts. And so, you know, in your efforts to, you're you're teaching classes, you're, you're, you're doing these film screenings, you're distributing educational toolkits. Have you encountered any challenges or resistance from healthcare organizations or institutions? And if you have, do you have plans to address those challenges or how to address those challenges? <laughs>
4: yes. I mean, I think anytime you're dealing with institutions, um, there's a resistance to change, a resistance to admit that maybe something, you know, is, is, is wrong or not quite working for a population. It's not because any single individual is a nefarious actor or anything like that. It's just that whole, um, the, you know, a feeling of, oh, this is the way it's always been done. But when clearly it's not working, when the status quo is not working for a certain population, and when we're talking about something like endometriosis, it's the patient population. So unfortunately, that's usually a sick population, but it's, the onus is on that population to, to make the change. And luckily, because we have such amazing patient advocate leaders and patient groups and then incredible allies um, in the government, like Representative Gilchrist, and in D C, for example, and other state governments, not to mention allies within the NIH, you know, within Congress, within the White House. Then we can move forward in a meaningful way and put pressure on those institutions to, to admit, okay, you know what, this system that was built is not serving this population and okay, we're we're gonna do something about it. And that's something that, you know, is an aim of below the belt as well because it's public pressure. You know, it creates more public pressure to say this is something that's unfair and not working uh, for millions, literally millions of women in this country, and we have to do something about it. And I see that, that that's happening, and I feel confident that you know, we'll see real change soon.
2: And we have a couple minutes here, left here, but I want to ask, too, you know, you're encouraging open dialogue about sensitive health issues. You know, you're doing it in so many different kinds of environments, but it can be challenging, especially when you're in a school. So do you have any strategies or guidance that you would suggest for teachers and healthcare providers who want to have these discussions in a supportive and non-judgmental manner?
4: Of course. Uh, first, I would say, you know, sign up to get a free um, what toolkit. We share that. It includes, you know, a sample discussion guide, sample questions, um, sheets for parents and other, you know, guardians, as well as a sample curriculum to talk about menstrual health and endometriosis. That's a great place to start. And I should say that also that any school nurse who signs up to receive a toolkit can get 3.5 CU units through our partnership with Northeastern University in Boston. So it's a win-win for everyone. That's a great place to start because it's great information, but beyond any type of toolkit, I would say, just believe, believe the teams that come to you and share symptoms and take a moment to really listen to them. And if, you know, If they're saying something, even if you don't know about it, then try to help them find answers. So that's a great place to start. And um, I think we'll get there.
2: And we got about a minute left here, but I want to ask, too, you know, with what you just said, how can that be generalized into a larger conversation about women's health issues, as you mentioned, tend to be overlooked and under-researched?
4: Yes, well, I, I make the argument that Below the Belt is actually about all of women's health. When someone asks me what Below the Belt is about, I say it is a film that looks at all of the things that are wrong in women's healthcare and how we can solve them through the lens of a single condition that affects 200 million people on the planet. So when you watch the film, like again, it's, it's available on PBS and PBS.org and PBS app. Look at it and think about all of the issues that it really covers that are beyond endometriosis, that are really about women's health in this country. And it also provides some insight on what can be done about it.
2: You've been listening to Shannon Cohn. She's the filmmaker behind Below the Belt and Endo What, both documentaries about endometriosis. Thank you so much, Shannon, for sharing your experiences with us today.
4: Of course. Thanks, Catherine. It's been an honor.
2: I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Carol Chen and Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening.